This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! After a two-week break, Minnesota United back to domestic football, away to their nemesis, Seattle Sounders on the road, exactly where they started what has been viewed so far as a rather successful 2021 campaign. Alongside me, Callum Williams, as always, former Gopher Soccer star, Kindra D. St. Aubin. Kindra, plenty to talk about over the course of this podcast in regards to Minnesota United and their next opponent, Seattle Sounders. But first, let's concentrate on international football, shall we? Um, the United States, with a very, very much-needed victory in Honduras on Wednesday evening, didn't come without its complications, but the simple fact of the matter is they got the result they needed. Yeah, I think that's ultimately the goal here is the three points. And I think after the first two results, having two draws, one on the road and one at home, um, I think this was a must-win scenario. And I know they have a lot of more games left to play in this octagonal. This isn't like if they hadn't gotten a victory on the road last night that you could write them off and they wouldn't qualify for the World Cup. But sure, they would have dug themselves a very large hole. And they were missing some key pieces last night um, due to injury and or dismissals um, with Weston McKinney. And I think that the the first half had us all yelling and screaming at our televisions and and wondering, and maybe even prior to that, Cal, I mean, when we were texting about the lineup and the formation and and the roster for that match and wondering, I was wondering what, how's he going to throw these guys out there? What's going to look like? And, um, and in fairness to Greg Berhalter, I think he sort of put his hand up at, at the half by just the changes that he made, admitting that he got it wrong, um, whether it was personnel or positionally or, or formation wise. And they got the result in a group that did it in the second half with four goals on the road at Honduras without Christian Pulisic for much of it. Um, I think that shows a lot about this team. And I'm hopeful, though, the real hope is that they carry this on because this is a one off. So to me, it's about which team shows up on the night and and the teams that are good and that make it far, whether it's in qualifiers or whether it's in the World Cup, is a consistency factor. You have to be consistent. And they've got to find that in their form, in their roster, in their lineup um, and, and the guys that are stepping up. But a huge three points on the road at Honduras last night. Before we talk about the lineup and, and the action on the field, we have to address the Western McKinney situation. Reports suggesting that he went on a night out the night before the game against Canada, uh, breaking COVID protocols, um, making his way outside of a COVID bubble, perhaps even bringing somebody into a COVID bubble. Um, the epitome of, of unprofessional. Um, it doesn't matter that he's 22 years of age. He's a professional footballer, or 23 years of age, I'm sure he is now, I think. He, he's a professional footballer. Um, and you're representing your country in a World Cup qualifier. To, to do this anyway is is punishable, in my opinion. But to do it the day before a game, what on earth is he thinking there, Kendra? A combination of all of the above and what you just said, Kyle, because, you know, and, and maybe if he hadn't done this at Juventus with his throwing a house per party during lockdown during COVID, then maybe you're... Yeah you're able to be a little more lenient with a first time offense. And yes, this was a first time as far as we are aware of offense with the U S men's national team, 
but also during COVID. I mean, because there's plenty of guys that have broken curfew in the past, right? Stayed out too late, maybe not the night before match, still inexcusable in my opinion at this level, but also to do it in a COVID era where you have this bubble and he could have brought something back to the entire team and completely ruined your chances of qualifying if half the roster hadn't been able to play. I mean, there are so many things wrong with this scenario and this decision. It is legitimately inexcusable. There is no good reason, answer, justification for this. And I know that Wes McKinney put out some sort of a statement on Instagram. That's not enough for me. That is not enough. He absolutely needs to come out, get out in front, be visible, make a public statement and address it. And there needs to be more of an acceptability for his actions and the detriment he could put this team in and did. And I don't know what that means going forward. I was happy when I found out the situation that Berhalter suspended him for the match. And then I, you know what? I was pretty pleased that he sent it back to Italy. Like, dude, you are not bigger than this team. I don't know if some of you guys playing overseas have gotten too big for your britches, but you can't do that. This is quite possibly the biggest qualifying situation for the men's national team in forever, considering they didn't qualify in 2018. You were supposed to be a leader of this team and we've seen him be a leader of this team. And, and knowing that reports came out that after El Salvador, he was saying to guys in the locker room and, and harping on guys that they need to be more accountable. Well, and then you go and do this. I just, I mean, if I was a player on that team, I would be so mad. I would be so upset at Weston McKinney at what he put, you know, the situation he put this team in. And I don't know if I'm Berhalter, if I bring him back in, I honestly right. don't. And I know he's so good. But at some point, that doesn't matter. And the team is bigger than one individual. And what does that say to the team if you bring him back in the mix after he's made this decision? And I'm not quite certain he's learned from it yet. I don't know. And, and you know, only time time will tell, I guess. Yeah, time will tell for sure. And it depends. Like, if he goes on a sensational run with Juventus and, and you know, you simply can't ignore him at that stage. But, yes, I completely agree with you in that regard. And I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you, do you bring him back? Because... No doubt Weston McKinney has a future with the, with the men's national team, for sure. He's a sensational footballer. But with with what he's done, given the circumstances, I agree. I'm not sure I'd bring him back for the next qualifying phase either. Given the fact, as well, that you now have the likes of a Kellen Acosta, a Christian Roldan, um, James Sands, perhaps. I know it wasn't his, his best showing uh, on Wednesday evening, but he's still an option. Um, the United States are not short of central midfielders. They're not short of options in that area. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, whilst I mention the likes of James Sands, um, I think just about everybody in the US soccer hemisphere were surprised with the lineup that Greg Berhalter put out, the starting lineup against Honduras on Wednesday evening. Um, before we sort of dissect it and go into it. I, I guess the question I have for you is why would Greg Berhalter do this? Um, why would he play the likes of 19-year-old George Bellow at left back for his first World Cup qualifying start? Why would he put James Sands at 18 years of age in the centre of midfield for his first World Cup qualifying start? I know Ricardo Pepe was 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 called upon um with with so many people in the media asking him to start, but again it's a big ask for him to come on um, at 18 years of age and, and make his senior debut um, and play Tyler Adams at right back, which it, it feels as though it's come and gone. Um, it felt like a very reactionary starting 11. It felt borderline experimental, Kendra. So why would Greg Berhalter do this on such an important evening? 
Yeah, I think I was really scratching my head when I saw the lineup and literally a list numerically. And then I'm trying to figure out how is he going to throw this team actually on the field? What is this going to look like and how is this going to function properly? And I think it was clear from the first kick before the first goal, in my opinion, that this was not a functioning formation or lineup for that matter. And there were clearly a couple of guys that did not seem ready for the moment, at least in the position that they were put in. They were not put in the best, in the position that they could best succeed. And when they succeed, the team succeeds. Josh Sargent, wide right in a front three. I mean, I didn't mind Pulisic being wide left in a front three. I I said beforehand that I thought he's better in a wide position where he can go at players and has more space to work than he is centrally. Or like we saw in the Canada game where he's checking back and his back is to goal. Um, But I think when you throw it all together as one, that it did not function right. It didn't look like the best the best formation. I think it caused the team to question what they were doing, how they were going to succeed, and they lacked confidence. They didn't look confident in the formation. They didn't look confident in where they were playing. Even the back five, you know, when I said this to you at, at Minnesota United training today, I said it's all well and good if you want to throw an extra center back out there because you think you might need a little bit more of a defensive shape to allow your outside backs to go forward. But when the, those three in the back haven't played together, and more importantly, those five, you need to have some some confidence and chemistry in that back line that they know who's stepping when, who's covering, who's sliding, that they know what everybody's roles are. Just because you add an extra defender, it doesn't make you stronger defensively. They have to be a cohesive unit and, and move together. And I think we saw that even when he switched in the halftime to the four in the back, four in the back, and they were better defensively. You took out, of course, John Brooks, which I think also solved a bit of problems. But part of that was John Brooks was stepping in unnecessary times, had too many turnovers, had the ball at his feet too much. And then I don't know if he just thought the rest of the guys behind him could cover because you had five in the back or what, but mm. there were so many things that I think left a lot of people scratching their heads. I didn't mind that that Burhalter was going to make a change because the first two results weren't great, but this kind of a drastic, as you say, experimental lineup and change blew my mind. I didn't mind Ricardo Pepe either because I think this kid has some metal about him. I think he doesn't look phased by the moment. He didn't look phased at the all-star game. He didn't look phased, at least outwardly, about the pressure between deciding between the U.S. and Mexico for national team. I don't know what it was like at home for him. That's a, that's a big decision. But ultimately, mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, Greg Berhalter must see something in this kid that he would not be phased by this moment. And once he got put in the right position in a 4-3-3 in the second half with proper players around and behind him in the right positions – he looked like the Ricardo Pepe that we know that and that we've seen of late with FC Dallas. So kudos to Greg Berhalter, I guess, that he admitted he got it wrong by making the changes that he did at halftime, that it wasn't the right choice. But man, are they lucky that they didn't get in a bigger hole than one nothing at half and have to climb out of that because that that would have been a tough one. That would have been really tricky to climb out of that hole on the road at Honduras. And unfortunately, four second half goals on the road at Honduras is pretty impeccable. No doubt Ricardo Pepe proved that he's got something about him with the second half display. I think you and I, again, we, we spoke this morning at Minnesota United Training and we had said that there was an obvious difference when the formation changed and there was an extra body midfield. It allowed the United States to possess the ball a lot more than what they what they did in the opening 45 minutes. Um, Sebastian Legette, um, people 
have their opinion on him, whether they think he's an international footballer or not. I think, again, he's, he's proven that he's, he's a very useful player for the United States. And, and I think he offered something and he, he gave them uh, a way to play through the centre of midfield, which they, they didn't really have um, prior to, to them playing the 5-2-3 the formation that they were in. Um, but Ricardo Pepe, um, I, I think now has certainly worked his way into Greg Berhalter's thoughts simply off of the back of that second half performance. Um, he showed for, for me a real grit um, and, and showed that he can play on the international level at the CONCACAF level with his first goal. Um, if you go back and have a look at the tape, um, about 10 seconds or so before Pepe actually executes the header, he actually gets mauled to the ground by one of the centre-halves. Uh, it may have been Figaro, I, I can't remember, but it was whoever it was, it was a, a big, towering centre-half, um, put down the kid, put him on the grounds, and it would be very easy for not just a young kid, but any footballer to sort of sit up, put their arms in the air, ask the referee why there's nothing being given there, you know, um, why isn't there a foul being given there? Come on, referee, you know, we'll get into the game or what have you. But instead, he actually did what a what you've got to do in CONCACAF. He actually just got straight back up um, and started to press and the ball came in from, from the wide area and he executed a lovely header. Um, and in that, that precise moment, Kay, that's when I kind of thought, maybe there is something here. Maybe this kid can actually play at this level and he's still only 18 years of age. The one thing I think we've got to be careful with, though, because it tends to happen in this country more than most. No, no doubt it happens in other countries, but but this this country certainly it happens. And um, there is a tendency to overhype. There is a tendency to expect a lot more than the player is capable of at this precise moment of his career. So how how do we how do we assess him over the course of the next six months? Let's say, for example, he he doesn't score another goal for Dallas. Will people all of a sudden start saying, "Oh, he's not the player we kind of thought he was," and all this? Let's remember he's, he's 18 years of age. Let's remember that he's got still plenty of developing to do. Let's just let the kid play. Let's just let him enjoy and learn and perhaps take the, the pressure off of the pedal a little bit and not pressure the kid. We've seen it in the past, haven't we, Kay, with so many young players coming through. Daryl DK was meant to be the next big thing. He may still very well be, but as soon as he made his national team debut, everybody was saying, like, the saviour, the saviour. Josh Sargent, when it happened to him, everyone was saying, this is the new kid, this is the new kid. The, the best example of all is Freddie Adu. So I, I would wonder now how people approach this in terms of the expectations for Ricardo Pepe, because Greg Berhalter now, in my opinion, has, has got to really, really be careful with him. I would wrap him in cotton wool and say, you carry on and doing exactly what you're doing. You might not get a call-up in the next qualifying rounds. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're out of my thoughts. It's just that we've got to be very protective of these young players because far too often, Kay, they are exposed. And ultimately, I mean, over the course of the last 10 years, there's been a lot of failure for, for young lads coming through like this. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a combination. And, and we're almost talking about two different generations and, and like Freddie Adu and, and, and Daryl DK. Um, and because I think that when you see nowadays, a lot of these players have come through high pressure scenarios, whether it's in academies or playing professionally at a young age or youth national teams at a higher level and have been exposed to maybe a little bit more pressure than like a Freddie Adu or who was christened the next big thing. And, and I think sure. there was a whole documentary done on him and, and you know, what, what he went through and, and I, I even think that people felt a little bit that way with Christian Pulisic. What was sure. going to happen to him? I mean, his first senior men's national team cap, to my knowledge, was a World Cup qualifying game 
five years ago now. And people kind of worried that what was going to happen to him, that we're christening him the next big thing. And then he goes overseas and he plays. And maybe that was the best thing for him to kind of get out of the USA environment of that hype and, and go play overseas. But I think and I hope that Ricardo Pepe doesn't fall into that. But I do think Greg Berhalter, it is a lot on him and it's a lot on FC Dallas and it's a lot on the people that surround him to kind of keep him in that moment. And you want there's that fine line between confidence and arrogance and then also just, you know, feeling the pressure of being a hyped young player, hyped young athlete um, in this time that we live in. And let's not forget when Freddie Adu had his demise let's call it there wasn't even social media sure and that's the other huge component of it maybe it benefits some of these kids that they've grown up with it because they are just blasted bombarded whatever you want to say from every angle from every social media in 24-hour news cycles and, and writers and beat reporters and everything else so i don't know if that if that hardens them a little bit or not but i think he could be good I don't think we christened him the new number nine. I think he's still got a lot to learn and a lot to grow. I do think that Josh Sargent has had plenty of opportunities now to show what he can do at the national team level. And he hasn't really shown me a whole ton. And I know in the first half, he was played a little bit out of position, but there have been other games where he wasn't played out of position and he didn't really do enough for me in that number nine position. So I don't know. I mean, so much, like I said, this is about consistency. This is one game. They came back in the second half. This doesn't erase in my mind, the first two results against El Salvador and Canada doesn't erase to me that the first half against Honduras, a lot to be seen. We'll see how the guys come back into the next break. We'll see how they, you know, continue on in this octagonal. There is some depth in there. There is some quality in the midfield. Um, but I don't even, and I know Christian Roldan is fantastic for Seattle. I know Sebastian Legette has done well for the U.S. men's national team. But sometimes when I look at some of these players and I think next level World Cup, how are you going to step up in those minutes? I still have some questions about what they bring at that next level, not just qualifiers, but the actual World Cup and how they compare to some other countries. Okay. So before we start talking about Minnesota against the Seattle Sounders this coming weekend, the next international break is around the corner. October 7th, the United States men host Jamaica. And then on the 13th, they play against Costa Rica. The number nine position for the United States, regardless of, of the performance of Ricardo Pepe, will still remain a bit of a problem um, until they can find some real consistency there. So the question for you is, Kendra, against Jamaica and against Costa Rica, and maybe this is an unfair question because it, a lot of it, I'm sure, will, will come down to how players are doing at the club level. Would you start Ricardo Pepe at centre forward or would you perhaps give it to somebody else? Is Jassy's artist available? Let's say he is. Um, if if Zardis is in full health and full fitness and has played been playing well for his club, I would start Zardis in that in that moment. Um, I do think that it's going to depend on how they're playing at the club, how they recover from this. How does Ricardo Pepe mentally come out of this whirlwind kind of that he's been on? But I think if Zardes is playing well for his club, he's in full fitness and full health, I would start him and then bring Ricardo Pepe off the bench. But if he's not, I would start Ricardo Pepe over any other option that they have right now in that position. That's how really? I would view it. I just think that, and I had nothing against Ricardo Pepe, but I just think, you know, he's still got a lot to learn. And I don't think it's mm -hmm. a bad thing for him to come um, off the bench in those situations and those scenarios as he continues to develop. But that is, that's a tough question just because we don't know the health. We don't know the form. Sure. We don't know the quality. We don't know what they look like in camp. 
Um, we don't know who else Burhalter might be considering or looking at, but out of the current options, um, I think that if Zardis is fully fit, and I don't, I'm not a huge Yossi Zardis fan. I mean, he's not like my, you know, I don't think he's a savior at the number nine either, but I think that if he's, he's got some experience and some maturity about him, then I think that he could be a, a good one to choose. Now, do you do one for home and one for on the road? depending on what kind of points you need. I mean, that makes, that can make a difference too, but Pepe just started on the road to Honduras and a pretty much a much, much must win game and, and did just fine. So I can't believe how fast the next international break is. That's just crazy. Yeah. There's also a, a third game in there that I missed by the way, uh, on October 10th away at Panama as well. Um, Ooh, I think a lot a of, one. um, it is, I think a lot of these, um, international breaks are, are as consistent as they are because obviously the world cup is in, December of of um, twenty two, and and usually we would have another six months to, to do some of these qualifying games. So um, that Who would won't you change. Start? Who would you start? At home um, against Jamaica, um, if if he is um, if he's doing well, if if we're going off of form and he's scoring goals and being effective against Jamaica, I would start DK. Oh. Um, because I think DK can can be. Um, I, I know I sort of questioned it earlier on, but I, I do think if he's used the right way, I think he can be a real problem. Um, and and going up against the physicality of Jamaica as well, I think it would make sense. Um, a, a way to to Panama, I may very well go Pifok. Um ah. And again, it's okay. It's okay to be direct on the road in Concacaf. It's okay, and we we need to sort of understand this and get over this insecurity that the United States want to play like Barcelona and stuff. And I understand that there's times when, when they play some really lovely stuff. Um, for example, that the second half against Honduras, you know, you can play some really nice stuff. Um, but just to get the results, sometimes you have to be a bit more direct. Sometimes you have to be a little more unattractive and that's okay. And I think that Panama game may very well be one of those games, but we'll, we'll wait and see um, because there's certainly a lot of expectation for the home games coming up for the United States in October against Jamaica and Costa Rica. We'll see. No doubt, though, why, why do you think the... Go on. Why do you think DK didn't get called in? Not even after they made some changes with the roster. I know that no forwards went out with injury, you know, when they brought Jackson right. in. But why, why do you think DK didn't even get it called into, the, into this camp? I think he had a little niggle on his, I think it was his calf, I think. Um, and I, I would assume that Greg Berhalter thought that if we want to go direct, we can use PFOC. Um, there's similarities there for sure. So I kind of think in, you know, when you are restricted to the amount of players you can bring in for the qualifying stages, uh, and that'll be the interesting thing going forward as well, by the way, if, if the US do qualify for the World Cup and they've got to pick that 23-man roster, um, there are a couple of players that do offer a lot of similarities. And I do wonder which way Greg will go. But but I think, um, for me, I think the emergence of, of PFOC certainly played its part as well there. But we'll, we'll wait and see. The good thing is, is that there are options for the United States. But at the moment, uh, from a, a centre-forward position, there's still a lot of questions to be asked because they don't have that regular goal-scoring threat. And they haven't for some time. Hopefully that'll change here. Uh, just before the World Cup uh, in 18 months' time. Okay, so let's concentrate before we go to break on domestic football, shall we? Um, Minnesota, after a good break, a much-needed 
break, it's safe to say, look to be in good shape again, Kendra. To our knowledge, the likes of Franco Fragapane will be available. Uh, Robin Lourdes, Adrian Heath, said to the press uh, this morning on Thursday that will play some part. They're just not sure if that'll be a starting role or not. He said the same about Emmanuel Reynoso as well. Simple fact of the matter is, though, Kay, is that some of these bodies are now back and will play some part and be available in some shape, way or form for Minnesota. And I think it's just a welcome return for all of these and not just for this specific match against Seattle, but knowing what is coming in the next week's time and the schedule that you have. I mean, two games on the road, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday with with Seattle and Sporting Kansas City in that home against LA Galaxy. And I know that everybody always talks about next game, next game, next game. That's what you got to focus on. And you do. But ultimately, there has to be some rotation of squad. And now you actually have the squad to rotate. There was a, a a moment there in the last couple of weeks before the break that you couldn't really rotate the squad. You felt good about, or at least I did, about the starting 11 that was put out in Houston. But ultimately, you're looking on the bench going, okay, well, what if, though, right? I mean, what if we need to make a change, tactical or otherwise, or injury? Who Who is going to be that next man up? And now Adrian Heath has that luxury back again if those guys are all ready and healthy and, and ready to go. We don't know what Roma Metzenier's status is going to be, and we don't necessarily know what Yuka's status is going to be, even though he was back at training today, um, coming back from international duty. But Ultimately, Adrian Heath has got to feel good about this squad. Uh, we don't know what Seattle's status is. I mean, they had guys gone mm-hmm. on international duty, and they're still sitting in that top position of the Western Conference, albeit by a point. And if I would have asked you at the beginning of the season, Kyle, who was sitting in second place, one point behind Seattle at this point in the season, would you have said Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think they are probably about 10 teams before <laughs> I would have said Colorado. Yeah, they've had a wonderful year. Yeah, somehow they've managed and and they've figured it out and they've made some additions. Um, So kudos to them. We'll see who's all there in the end. But um, I think Adrian is going to feel really good and this break could not have come at a better time. And it was crazy that all these teams were playing on the weekend. And Minnesota, once again, was off Labor Day weekend. I don't know if that's like written in some contract somewhere that they (laughs) they never play a game on Labor Day weekend or what. But um, it felt good for those guys to get some rest and and rehab and regeneration and just kind of regroup. Two more quick questions before we go to break. Um, Michael Boxall, it was announced on Thursday, signed a new contract for Minnesota United. There's nobody really more deserving, is there, of a new contract? You know, I, I I say this time and time again, I think he is one of the most underrated center backs in the league. I don't think he gets enough credit. I think that there were times in the past where, you know, sometimes, ow, my toe is just cramping. <laughs> <laughs> there are times in the past where, I think he got some of the blame when Francisco Calvo would go willy nilly out of position and make some gallivanting runs and some poor square balls and boxes left kind of hanging out to dry or left to cover. And then when Icopara came in, it was like, Oh wow. Like Icopara, he's such the difference on this team. And I kind of felt like guys, let's give Michael Boxel some credit here for what he's been able to do. And I think that Michael Boxel and Icopara made each other better. It wasn't just one or the other. And so I think not just as a center back, but as a teammate and a leader on this team and just a personality that the guys rally behind um, and that respect, no one more deserving uh, on this team. And I do think truly one of the most consistent, solid center backs in the league. What was it? Was it we we did the prep earlier this year, something like he's played alongside 11 different center backs or something along those lines. When you rattled off some of those names, when you rattled off some of those names, I was like, 
I mean, I had to really go deep in my memory bank there to remember some of those guys. So, um, yeah, credit to Michael Boxel and what he's been able to do. And, and different holding mids, different players that have played in front of them and alongside of them. I mean, he's had a rotating cast. This isn't like a consistent back four since 2017. So, mm. And goalkeepers. Literally everybody around him has rotated and he's stayed the same. So kudos to him. Delighted Michael Boxall will be sticking around for the next couple of years. Okay, let's go to the other end of the field, shall we? Let's say the players that we mentioned earlier on are all available. Robin Lurd, Franco Fragapane, Emmanuel Reynoso, uh, maybe Nico Hansen is available to come back as well. Who knows? Um, let's not forget we've got a centre-forward now that seems to be a lot sharper after time to train and play in Fernando Adi. What do you do with Mr. Adrian Unu? What's his role? Well, he's come off of two goals. Like I think the break couldn't have come at a worse time for right. Adrian Anu. Um, he finally gets the two goals and the kind of two goals that I think that um, we've expected him to score in and around the six inside the penalty area, being able to finish those opportunities. And Adrian, he said it again to the press today. Like you get in the box in those positions and you can make a living there. He said that to every number nine that has come through Minnesota United. And we know that that's the kind of floor that Adrian Anu is. And he benefited from the play of uh, Fernando Adi in that match and others, you know, in, in sort of the combination play in tight spaces and just putting things away from close range, capitalizing on your opportunities. I think this is another one of those those question marks that um, to me, it's not so much about what do you do with Adrian Anu as what do you do with everyone behind him? If you go and play the 4-2-3-1, let's say that Adrian Heath likes to play and maybe he plays it on the road, maybe he doesn't. We'll have to see who's healthy and available and, and you know, maybe kind of how he's feeling out this process going into Seattle. But I think that Adrian Anu gets to start. I think you have to start him coming off the, a two-goal game, even though it was two weeks ago. And then what do you do in the wings? Do you put Robin Lode back out there? That, that's what I would do. If Robin Lode's full and healthy and fit and ready to go, I'd put Robin Lode out there. I'd put Franco Fragapane out there. And I would put Reynoso in the middle. This is if everyone is fit and healthy and ready to go. None of those players are going to be 90 minutes match fit. None of them. Because they haven't played a game in a, in a while now. But you see what you can get out of all of them. And you see the quality that you can bring against a team like a Seattle on the road. And you come at Seattle full force and you put the pedal to the metal early on and you high press the heck out of them. And you force the turnovers, you force the issue, almost like you did the first game of the season before that game got turned on its head. That's what I would do with those players if they're full and fit and healthy and ready to go. Then you've got an Ethan Finley. You've got a Nico Hansen of healthy to come off the bench. You've got Fernando Adi if you want to completely change the shape and the style and you go more direct and use him for hold-up play. And you play, you know, Renoso underneath. Like, you've got options if you're Adrian Heath to change tactically. And from a lineup standpoint, you've got the depth. Well, we could talk for another 30 minutes or so about this, but we've got a guest to get to. So uh, stay with us coming up after the break. We'll be joined by MLS legend and Seattle Sounders assistant coach, Frecking, next. Minnesota United fans, save time every time when you use online check-in for a great haircut at Great Clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. And a very warm welcome back to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kindred D. St. Auburn. Now then, a very, very special guest joins us today. He was a wizard during his time at Kansas City, quite literally. And then he had some fabulous spells 
in England with the likes of Everton and Portsmouth and elsewhere in Major League Soccer in Miami. Now he finds himself as the assistant manager of Seattle Sounders. Welcome to the podcast, Pedrag uh, Radosavilic, more commonly known as Pecky. But Pecky, I, I really, really hope I've gotten your name right there. How was that? First, first of all, thanks uh, for having me on your show. And second, uh, that was pretty good, pretty close. Not quite there yet, but you have some time, you'll get it right. Okay, we'll, we'll get it right at some stage, yeah. Um, Preki, look, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, look, it's obviously been a, a really good season for Seattle Sounders. I think everybody at the start of the campaign had the Sounders as, as playoff contenders, no doubt, but nobody had them at the top of the Western Conference. Why has it gone so well for the Sounders, particularly given the absentees that they've had to deal with this year? Well, regardless uh, of the guys uh, that we've been missing, uh, we always felt that we have a, a great core of, uh, of uh, players, experienced players. Uh, they understood how to play. Uh, obviously, we have changed a little bit of formation the way we play. And on the end of the day, uh, everything worked out for us. Uh, when players have a good mentality and... Uh, and like I said, they experience, they understand uh, what's expected of them, and everything becomes easy. Easier, let's put it that way. Preki, every time I hear Coach Schmetzer talk, he always praises his assistant coaches, his assistant managers. I know a couple have moved on now, and you're still by his side, and, you, and you've added as well. What What is it about coaching with Coach Schmetzer? What is that? dynamic like what is that relationship like it's it's a really good relationship brian's very open about the different ideas um he's a good listener uh and obviously he leads the right way so for us as a staff i feel like uh it's uh obviously a job that you you uh you want to be part of because uh Everybody's important. Everybody brings something to the table. And and Brian uh, does a great job of uh, making sure that everybody's included. Ricky, let me ask you about the last couple of months to the Sounders. Uh, it's not been as easy going as the prior couple of months had, particularly at home as well. Yes, you beat Tigres convincingly. Uh, in the League's Cup, but in Major League Soccer, uh, no home win in the last four. Why is that the case? Well, sometimes uh, you go through those spells and there is no particular reason why uh, we felt that we could have gone more out of some games, but sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way and... and uh, that, that's the nature of the sport, but in the same time, uh, we keep pushing and we keep believing and and our players are on the same page and we know um, that in, in no time uh, we'll hit our form again at home, especially at home, and and uh, we'll, we'll uh, go in the direction that we're going so far. I know a lot has been made about the road form, and that was something that Coach Schmetzer talked about. 
in his media availability yesterday. Yes, the, the results haven't come at home of late, but he's very proud of the guys and what they've been able to accomplish on the road. Why do you think that is, that the road form has been so good? It's because we have a core group of players that have been here two, three years, uh, two, three, four years together. They understand how to play uh, with each other. They understand how to play in difficult games in, away from home. And when you have a group like that, the job, uh, job becomes easier for all of us. Ricky, there was one moment earlier on this season where the Sounders played one of the youngest starting 11s Major League Soccer has ever seen, and you still got the win at Austin FC, courtesy of another sensational goal from Raul Rui Diaz. It seems as though yourself and Brian Schmetzer have the confidence in the young players that you've brought through the academy system. With all the players on international duty, would it perhaps surprise any of us if we see them more regularly again this season? Well, we, uh, like I said, uh, Brian is open-minded. We open-minded. Uh, we watching every day in training how the young guys uh, are improving, how they're getting better, how their mentality is changing. Obviously, when you're playing on youth level or, you know, in the first, second team, uh, it's totally different than when you come to play with the big boys. So we're monitoring everything, and uh, we understand that these these kids are getting better and having a confidence uh, in them, it's not a really hard thing to be because uh, they're growing right in front of our eyes. Preki, being a former player and also a former manager, a head coach yourself, what do you think is the quality that you bring to the table, that you bring to the Seattle Sounders that Coach Schmetzer really appreciates and, and kind of attaches you know, himself to and what do you bring as a quality and a philosophy? Well, I always feel uh, uh, that's the question for him or somebody else. But uh, I honestly, I am very, very comfortable in my skin. Uh, I understand the dynamics of the locker room. Um, I spend, I believe I spend a lot of time with the players, uh, making sure uh, that uh, they feel good, the communication is right, the mentality going into training session is right. Um, also, the work on the field. I pride myself on, on my work on the field. I'm detailed-oriented uh, guy. So uh, for me, everything matters. And, and I just hope uh, uh, those are one of those uh, few things that Brian appreciates about my work. But once again, that's the more question for him than for me. Now, Preki, there was a lot made um, of the departure of Ozzy Alonso back in 2019 when he joined Minnesota United. He's been sensational for the Loons over the course of the last few years, but there were many people that suggested a replacement was still needed. Up until the arrival of João Paulo, how good is this Brazilian central midfielder? He looks absolutely flawless at times. João has been... Uh, uh a central piece of our midfield. He's been very good for us. Uh, he's a hard worker. He brings a good mentality in training every day. But more than anything, he's incredibly smart on the field. He understands the game. Um, he's a good defender um, when the play is around him. is extremely aggressive. But in the same time, he's very good with the ball. Uh, he has a good ideas uh, where the plays need to go. And... Uh, 
like I said, he's been a tremendous asset for us, and uh, we're blessed to have him. I'm not sure what the status is of Christian Roldan for the match on, on Saturday, coming back from international duty, but can you talk a little bit about his role on this team, especially with Nico Ladero missing so much time, how he's kind of really stepped up to the plate? Well, it's the same like with Joao. Those two players uh, have been here for long. I mean, especially Christian has been longer than Joao, but these two guys uh, are bringing a lot to the table. Christian is uh, one of the mo most important guys in our team. He brings a right mentality every day in training, right mentality in the game. He's willing, he's willing runner. He will run defensively. He will run offensively. Um, is 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 big part of, of what we're trying to do right here, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll stay healthy, he'll stay in form because we're gonna need him down the stretch. Ricky, there was some deadline day additions made for the Sounders. We, we've all seen Nicholas Benazay for Toronto FC and Colorado Rapids, but tell us a little bit about Leo Shu, the Brazilian who came in from Grêmio. Well, it's, it's still really, to, uh, honestly, to talk about a kid. Obviously, you can see some raw talent, uh, incredible explosiveness. He's, he's very fast. Uh, we don't want to rush him into anything. We'll just make sure that uh, slowly but surely gets uh, to the place that we we need him to get to. But he seems like a really, really good uh, good good kid and, uh, and I'm sure at some point he'll be important piece for us too. What about Minnesota United? Um, clearly the, the first game of the season at Seattle did not go Minnesota United's way following up on that Western Conference final from last season, but then losing here at Allianz Field. But what do you see from Adrian Heath and his club? Well, I mean, the Minnesota is, is especially Adrian has done a good job with our team. They have a lot of good players. They understand how to play with each other. Uh, we are not fooling ourselves. We, we understand uh, uh, the game on Saturday is going to be a tough game. And we know we won one, we lost one. So uh, we know they are capable of getting results. But we also know that we are capable of getting results. So I'm sure it will be a, a good, hard match. And uh, we'll see what happens. Ricky. What do you see from Minnesota United this season in terms of well, what do they do better than anybody else in Major League Soccer and what are the, the fundamentals to get the better of them on Saturday? Well, they, obviously they have a, a, an incredibly talented player in number 10, Reynoso. Everything starts with them. He dictates the tempo of the game. Uh, he sees the field really well. Um even uh, people say he's not really fast. It doesn't really matter because his brain is very fast. He understands how to find his teammates, but he also he understands how uh, to put the ball in that himself. So uh, he, everything starts with him. And then you have uh, obviously good core of players. They play in the midfield. All those guys are capable. Aussie are still, in my opinion, one of the better one of the better players uh, in that role in MLS. Um, so we, we, like I said, we understand uh, and, and we know what Minnesota does. I, I don't think 
and I want to share all the ins and outs because <laughs> we have to get ready for Saturday. But we know they're a good team, and that is going to be a, a hard game once again. Preki, just sh shifting gears a little bit here with international play and international duty. You have quite a few caps yourself with the men's national team with the United States. And uh, as we're recording this on Thursday, a big win last night over Honduras. Do you have a favorite men's national team memory for yourself? Well, well it's, it's really easy scoring a goal against Brazil, for sure. And obviously going to World Cup. And that's, that's always special. Um, being on the stage with top players around the world, it's always special. So that does a Two of my favorite moments. Brookie, before we let you go, just one or two more questions. I really appreciate the time. What, what did you no make problem. of the game against Honduras? And what do you make of the current crop available to the United States men's national team? Well, the, the interesting thing is uh, um, for me that now that we have an incredibly young core group of players, uh, for me, is how quickly they learn uh, how difficult it is to, to go into these environments and in playing those environments, dealing with a crowd, the, the noise, the hotels, the the travel, the the big, the tall grass, the, all these little things, and um, they come into into play when you when you get to those games, and at the same time, uh, getting experience, but getting experience by getting results and it was incredibly important for us to get the result um last night and we did that yes performance maybe in the first half was uh, not what we want to see but i thought that greg adjusted pretty well in the second half found a way the the, the players found a way difficult difficult game uh that he came uh uh in a six a third game in the six days away from home as well. So uh, congratulations to them. I thought they did us proud yesterday, especially in the second half. They find a way to, to get a result. And let's not be mistaken, we have quite a few, quite a few young, young, young players. And that's really good to see. Okay, final question for you, Preki. Um, as we said earlier on, it's been a really good season for Seattle Sounders, particularly given the absentees they've had to deal with throughout the campaign. But what is a good season for Seattle Sounders this campaign? You always play to win. There is, there is no denying of that. We are, we are striving to, to, to go to the final and, and make, you know, make some noise in the final. There is no reason, uh, not, to, no, no, no reason not, not to be positive about that because in the last three, four, five years, Sanders have proven that they're one of the top teams in the league and um, that we we are embracing this moment and we're going to push forward for it. Wonderful. Uh, Preki, look, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Outstanding stuff. Uh, my thanks to our guest from the Seattle Sounders, Kindred D. St. Albany and our producer, Tyson Hill. All eyes on Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Central, Seattle Sounders hosting Minnesota United. From all of us, we'll see you then on Saturday afternoon.